Hello, and welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those of you new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work of social justice. That's right. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want Interdependent Study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And today, it's Damien's turn to bring something to the table. So what do you have for us today? All right. I've brought a documentary called Black Boys to the Table today, and I'm really excited for us to talk about it. Um, It actually was recommended to me by a colleague and friend of mine not too long after it came out. And now at this point, I guess I've watched it a a handful of times. Mm -hmm. Um, It came out late last year on Peacock and is still available uh, to watch it there if you haven't had a chance to check it out yet. Um, But in in a nutshell, the documentary explores black male humanity in America through the lenses of education and sports and the criminal justice system, relationships, and and just life in general. And it does that through the sharing of the stories of real black men and boys layered within the context of current events and news stories and and uh, this country's history as it relates to black men and, and black communities. Um, and when I say it showcases the stories of real black men and boys, The documentary is made up of four sections, body, mind, voice, and heart. Mm -hmm. And it really tries to use these stories as its way of addressing the dehumanization of black men and boys in this country, which I think is the the main goal of the documentary. Um, There are definitely some critiques out there about the documentary, uh, and I know we'll talk about that. um, But I still think it's a worthwhile film to watch. and, And like I said, I'm really happy to be bringing it to the table today. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious to know what stood out to you, Aaron? Like, where do you want to begin? Well, so many things stood out to me. Um, I'm not really sure where to begin, to be honest. Um, I think, so after the film, I, uh, sat down after watching it, I sat down and sort of reflected on what I was feeling in that moment. And it was, um, I think throughout the film, I felt like a whole range of emotions, right? It was, um, some really deep, pain and sadness mm-hmm. um, for some of the experiences and, and images shown, um, to, like even to the point of sort of feeling despair um, mm-hmm. in certain moments. Yeah. Um, but that was all kind of buoyed with some hope toward the end and some hope in some different different moments of um, resilience, I guess is the word. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But also resistance to um, systems and, and the things that, that black men and boys are, are facing and that are part of the story of the film. Um, but I also felt really connected to some of the men and uh, boys on the screen, particularly like the moments that dads had with their yeah. kids. Um, so, it, and part of those moments reminded me of how infrequently we see black dads yeah. uh, loving on their kids in any kind of media. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of my, my first thought in, in, getting this conversation started. Yeah, I I appreciate that. Um, and I definitely also had sort of lots of feelings throughout it. Um, and, I, and I'm and i so glad that you mentioned uh, 
the idea of black dads and 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 particularly that's how it sort of gets started yeah right um there's the the documentary sort of opens with us watching uh greg scruggs who's a former nfl player and his son at bedtime uh they're sort of doing their bedtime routine and they're reading the little engine that could um and it's a really tender and touching scene uh and i think a beautiful way to sort of launch the documentary and show Mm -hmm. us uh, show us this idea of black fatherhood and and uh, the relationship between um, black men and their sons um, and love. And I think that's one of the things that the documentary does a really great job of is is highlighting the importance of and the power of vulnerability and love and, as you mentioned, resilience of black men and boys in this country. Um, and I think it does that sort of in a in a variety of ways. Um, I think one of the things it does sort of later on um, in the documentary is it um, there's sort of these scenes where we see huddles or, or circles of black men and boys talking about their lived experiences in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a circle of uh, clearly younger boys, maybe they're like middle aged, uh, middle school aged. And there's another circle of a uh, bit older boys that are probably in high school. And then there's a circle of grown black men and and in those spaces, they talk about what it means to be a black boy or a black man in America. And we listen to them share those stories of vulnerability and, and love and, and resilience. And for me personally, you know, and you talked about sort of sitting with this and, and uh, having lots of feelings about it. You know, for yeah. me, so much of what was shared in those spaces resonated so deeply uh, because I share a lot of those experiences. I share a lot of the things that they sort of talk about in those groups. And, you know, there were conversations about growing up and the messages received about what it means to be a black uh, man in America. Um, there were conversations about having to be intentional in everything you do, in, intentional in every interaction you have, intentional in the way in which you present yourself as a black man. Um, you know, and there were certainly conversations about what it means to be in spaces with white women. Yeah. Um, and I, and I just don't know that there's any way that anyone could watch those scenes and, and listen to those stories uh, from those black men and boys and, and not feel their vulnerability and their authenticity, uh, but also see their strength and their resilience and, and their desire for, for love and dignity. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, one of the things that I... Right, her for me just now is sort of the the constant intention mm. of having to carry and just how much weight that that brings. Yeah, um, and we've talked about that before. Yeah, we have, and I think that that's one of the things that I think, um, sort of quote unquote woke me up to to try to seeing things a little bit differently. Is like, um, at some point, hearing people tell stories about this extra intention that they have to carry. And we're going to talk about double consciousness, I think a little bit later sure. in a couple of different ways. Um, Cause it shows up throughout the film, but um, yeah, I just, you know, hearing that it's a lot to recognizing that it's a lot to carry. Right. Um, and, you know, not to repeat the story you told about uh, Greg Scruggs mm-hmm. in that moment at all. Um, but that's one of the moments I was talking about when yeah. sort of connecting with the dads, right? Like, um, it's so touching. Yeah. Um, it's so um, affectionate and there's so much love there. Yeah. Um, you can see like, you know, they just, they're sitting there lying on bed before he goes to 
before his son goes to bed, goes to sleep, and he's they're making elephant noises together. Yes. And it's just like, um, it's just beautiful. Yes. Um, right. It's love and care and belief all wrapped up in just a few moments and glances and, and telling the story together. So, yeah, I just, I really connected with that and yeah. felt emotionally invested, like, immediately because of, like, you know, my own experiences being a dad. So, Absolutely. So, um, and then... Um, from there, the the it moves into the sections you mentioned earlier, right? right? Around um, body, mind, voice, and heart. Um, and so the body section, um, it opens up with this field of cotton, yeah, um, right, and some archival footage of uh, black men picking cotton by hand, um, and then you know there's this modern dancer who's yeah. a black man dancing in this in a field that looks remarkably remarkably the same um and that image to me that juxtaposition was uh um i, I don't know how to capture it yeah but um amazing i guess yeah. um because it's a modern dancer who I don't know, is embodying like liberation mm-hmm. almost like yeah. to me. And I don't know, they didn't really describe what, what the, you know, the dance was, but it was sort of, uh, how do you, how do you move in this black body in the context of the space that you're in, which in, in the film was a cotton field yeah. and the history that that carries and everything. Um, and then it jumps into black men colliding into one another yeah. on a football field yep. and the sort of violence in that um, as well. And so this quote from ta Coates pops up on the screen and it says, in America, it's a tradition. It is traditional to destroy the black body. It is heritage. Mm. Um, and so then we move into this section about the body. And, um, you know, Greg Gruggs is in that section and he talks about. Um, sort of his experience going through the combine and mm-hmm. a couple other former players yes. talk about that and they show images from the combine and how sort of connected it is to what like would happen um, at slave markets right as as people were sold as right human beings were sold to other human beings and um, it's uh, as somebody who, still watches quite a bit of football and um, yeah yeah, enjoys the sport um i feel like it's it's actually one of the reasons why i haven't watched as much recently is like just feeling this sort of sickness yeah um at the core of it because of how um black bodies are used for these violent acts almost like we are in ancient rome Mm. like in a coliseum yeah sort of cheering on the destruction of these gladiators who are fighting it out. And so it's just, it's, it's a lot, um, to, to, to internalize and and try to understand. But I think that that section of the film is, is super powerful and also feel like it sets us up for like the rest of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I loved that imagery and the juxtaposition you talked about of the, uh, black dancers sort of in those cotton fields, you know, and, 
as he's dancing, you see these images of those football players sort of practicing and, and actually playing and clashing with one another. I mean, I thought that was a, a beautiful way to transition into that body section. And yeah. and so really early on in the documentary, I, I felt if <laughs> it felt like the documentary hit us over the head sort of early on with these images and, and sort yeah. of draws you in. Um, and, you know, the other thought I had as you were talking about the the combine i think there was a player uh, a former player who talked about sort of the how that he felt it was dehumanizing right mm-hmm. to it was a of, meat market a meat I market was, yeah yep, absolutely and so um yeah it does sort of give you pause if yep. you uh certainly as you talked about are a fan of football and um and sort of the the use of and the profit off of mm-hmm. black bodies in that way yeah, yeah. um you know, after sort of the the body section, I think it is when it transitions to to mind. Yeah. Um, and and as an educator, I was certainly drawn to the mind section of the documentary, and I'm sure you were too. Um, that that part of the documentary was all about education in the United States and Black boys' experiences with it and in it. And um, I appreciated uh, the fact that the documentary highlights some of the most uh, significant flaws and failings of our educational system for for black boys. Yeah. Um, they talk about the achievement gap and really how it should be referred to as an opportunity gap for those students. Um, they talk about systemic issues within our policies and practices and funding. Um, they talk about issues around differences in curriculum for school districts with largely black and brown populations versus those districts with uh, largely white populations. Um, and they talk about, and I think this is one of the most sort of powerful things for me, is they talk about the impact of the lack of black male teachers uh, for black boys. And I think, I would argue really for, for all students, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and as they have experts and teachers talk about that and share statistics and, and history and, and uh, you know, all the facts and figures associated with all of that, you know, that's all accompanied by real black boys and men sharing their lived experiences within the educational system um, and, and life. Um, uh, and I think I was really struck by the scene of the school administrator talking about Malcolm X uh, and how his teacher told him, no, you're, you're black, you can't be a lawyer. And, you know, Aaron, I think I've told you this before, I, um, I was immediately reminded um, in that moment about my time working as uh, sort of in a former role of mine at a historically black land grant institution not too far from here. A part of my role there was as an academic advisor. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you the number of young black men who sat in my office for advising, supporting, counseling, and and they told me similar stories, right? You know, teachers and counselors who told them that they probably wouldn't even get to college. Um, teachers and counselors who told them and uh, sort of tried to push them not to pursue certain careers. And I, and I remember leaving work on those days heartbroken, right? Like as an educator, it it blew my mind to know that there were educators out there saying these things to our students when that seems to be the antithesis of why we're in this work. Uh, And so, you know, that's a real thing that happens uh, to young black boys in our educational system. And, and what was also difficult for me, as I worked in that setting was that wasn't the experience that I had, right. So Mm -hmm. I also had a lot going on for myself, right, when I would leave work and sort of have to process it, like, that's not my experience. Um, um, I I know of others uh, who have that experience. And now I'm, I'm working with these students. 
who are having this experience. And so um, I just think it's when you watch that documentary and listen to everything that's there, I think it's hard not to be compelled by the fact that we have to acknowledge the systemic issues present in our educational system um, and the pressing need to address those flaws uh, and failings, failings, um, and of course, like the importance of obviously of social justice as it relates to education. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to, you know, hearing you tell the story about um, previous position and hearing these stories from uh, other, you know, black men who you're talking to and advising. Um, that's a lot to carry too, right? Like in your, we talked about intention in that first section and having to do that work with intention. I think that, right. I can only imagine what that weight, what that extra weight is, right. Just going in and and trying to support students through that process and, and unlearning that or like uninternalizing that as a whole other like thing. And we don't talk about the extra emotional labor that black faculty staff at you know, higher education institutions, but also K-12 yep. most likely have to go through in order to support their students of color. Right? Absolutely. And you, so you talked about the statistics um, and you're right. A lot of this mind section as an edu- educator jumped mm-hmm. out to me, but you talked about one statistic and one they showed up on the screen was that having one black teacher before the fifth grade decreases the chances that a black male student will drop out by 39%. Yeah. Right. And so that's one year, one black teacher who is instilling something in their black male students Mm -hmm. that keeps them going. Right. Well beyond that one year. Yep. Um, And it just it stuck out to me, like how huge of a difference that makes. Um, And so I hear that and I hear a couple different approaches to that right okay. and one that i think is is valid is that schools need to figure out how to recruit and retain and support black male teachers and administrators yes. like right like i think without that a doubt will clearly make a difference um we have to seeing black men in leadership in classrooms clearly changes lives yeah we the statistic sort of points that out um and um you know, it speaks to that. And I think uh, I have to believe that I think as you referenced that all students would benefit from seeing that as well. I think so. Yeah. Um, so, you know, particularly from my perspective as a white man, like thinking about white kids being taught by a black male teacher early on would create a huge interpersonal difference for them, too. Yes. And their understanding and, and being able to connect with the humanity of. Yes. A black man right yes. um and so I, but that's not the only takeaway that i have okay. um the statistic also points out how our education system is just failing black boys so representation clearly means a whole lot yep but one of the other things they said in the in the documentary is that only two percent of our public school teachers are black men mm. right yeah. and so it's going to be a lot of work to get to a place where that number is more representative. Um, right. right? Um, and so, you know, what, what, what are we doing in the meantime? How are white administrators and teachers 
adjusting to this and um, recognizing how they're failing young black boys yeah. and their lack of belief and their lack of whatever empathy, um, whatever that might be. And how are we addressing that in, you know, teacher training programs and, right. and other things more broadly, because there has to be something there, you know, we have to have sort of a, an end goal, but we also have to be making steps along the way to get to that end goal. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Well, and you, you talk about that from sort of the K through 12 perspective, but we both work in higher ed, right? And we yeah. see a lot of institutions, particularly PWIs, uh, you know, there's that same condition exists, right? There mm-hmm. is a lack of uh, black faculty and staff uh, at many of those institutions, right? And so those same students who are coming up and not seeing uh, and particularly black men in front of them are then coming to college and yeah. not seeing it there either. So um, the same condition applies there as well. Yeah. And I, so I, I sat when I was thinking about this statistic and I was like, when was my first, when, mm. when was the first instructor teacher that I had that was a black uh, man? And um, I could not think of anybody mm. in my K-12 education Um Right, which doesn't mean I could be wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. and just because I, I uh, sadly can't remember a lot of the names of my teachers. Yeah, um, which I feel guilt around because how important education is to me. Right. Um. But um. Yeah, like I can think of a couple of um, black educators I had in like middle school, but there was black women. Right. Mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. um, which was also meaningful, um, in its own way for me, but yeah, like just the sort of lack of black male educators I had, like in my life, I don't think I saw, uh, in a real personal sense of black male educator, uh, until I was in grad school, maybe wow. like, you yeah. know, uh, so that's, that's a long, in, in terms of somebody teaching me in yep. a classroom. Yep. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. Um, so I, I, it's, I think we both agree there, right? Um, mm-hmm. And you know, after that part of the documentary, it sort of transitions over. And I think one of the tougher parts of the documentary for me was that was the voice section. Mm-hmm. Not that not that every section of the documentary wasn't about this, but I think voice was really about. And you just said the word humanity, so that made me think of this. I, I think voice was really about black male humanity uh, and black male existence. Right. Um, in, in, in one part, it features uh, this amazing poet and activist named Malcolm Xavier London. And I want to put his full name out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he actually talks about how his mother wanted to name him that after watching Malcolm X, the, the film with Denzel Washington. Um, and, and he obviously recites some of his own poetry, but he's actually also shown working with other young black men in sort of this mentoring group that um, is centered on creating poetry. And it was so incredible and stirring and moving um, to listen to the poems of those young black men um, and what they wrote about their lives and upbringings and, and lived experiences. And for me, it really highlighted the beauty of what it means to be a black man in America and also the struggles of that. Right. Um, Like it, it, I think you can't listen to that and not see sort of the beauty in that, but also the struggle and, and their real, um, 
their real emotion as they sort of talk about it through their through their poetry. Um, one of the other parts of it that sort of made it difficult to get through voice was, you know, we're confronted in that section um, with police brutality and police killings of black men. And, um, and in fact, I think this is one of the critiques about uh, the documentary uh, is that they outright show dash cam and body cam and cell phone videos of police brutality against black men, which is obviously difficult to watch and relive. And so, you know, in that section, we're reminded of Freddie Gray and Philando Castile and Alton Sterling. And, um, you know, they talk about how three times more black men die by the hands of police than white men in this country and how policing is just modern day, a modern day incarnation, if you will, of slavery and and the slave master. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that was just really sort of tough to get through. And, you know, especially just given how many times over and over we've seen black men die at the hands of police. It's, it's infuriating and, and exhausting for sure. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, well, that section, I really, um, I don't know why it felt abrupt to me that, mm. that we jumped to, um, yeah, not the topic, but the, the footage. Yeah. Um, that's and probably, I, it was probably jarring. It. Yeah. And I think, um, I, my guess is that was a purposeful decision by the director. Um, because it is, it can be jarring. Right. Like you just sort of live in your moment, living your life. And then one moment you hear about another black man has been murdered by the police. And, right. um, so yeah, that, but I was really shaken, I think, um, when that, when that, when those footage, when that footage came up and, yeah. and it was a variety of people who were um, being uh, harassed and traumatized and killed. Right. Um, and it also, that section in voice reminds me of body too. Yep. Right. Like there's, yeah. there's this clear intentional connection and kind of callback to body um, and even Jamel Hill, who's a, a journalist um, and is in the film, she makes that connection during Body Two of like this um, hyper athletic black male, and and only seeing black men in that way right. leads to some of this yes. police violence um, because of how many times we hear police officers say, "Well, I feared for my life," and yep. um, it's like, "Well, that person was unarmed, and you put twenty bullets in them," and so how about right, it? like that. Yep. I don't know. That doesn't, it doesn't compute for me. Um, and it, you know, reminds me again of that Ta-Nehisi quote, excuse me, Ta-Nehisi quotes coat. Quotes quote. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Wow. Um, apparently I'm tongue tied today. Yeah. Um, uh, but to say it again, in America, it is traditional to destroy the black body. It is heritage. And, I think that makes a direct connection between, um, you know, enslavement to Jim Crow to the ways that the documentary showed uh, black bodies being used for profit in the NFL and all over um, and into police brutality. And so that I also like had this sort of connection when that started happening of, of tying things back together too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and we've said this before in the show that we don't always, we often don't talk about uh, 
the the media on the table, right? Because we sort of want to have a conversation here. And so I I appreciate you saying it. That section was jarring and sort of came out of came was tough to sort of take. Um, and maybe it came a little out of left field because I, I maybe that's why it was so tough. I, that for me that that's helpful as I process this, right? Like yeah. it it that is sort of how it felt for me too. So I. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we talked about this a little bit. And I, I mentioned this, like this idea of that's a critique of this. Right? right. And I think I definitely think we should talk a little bit about some of the critiques of the documentary. Right. I, I think it's important to acknowledge those. You know, one of the things that's been talked about out there as a as a critique is that the director of the film, her name is Sonia Lohman. Uh, she's a white woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. There's that. I'll offer that. Um, you know, I think on on one hand, folks acknowledge that she does do a great job with the imagery and the commentary and the presentation. And we talked a little bit about that um, in the documentary. I think sort of generally this idea that the platform that is provided for black men and boys to share their experiences. Um, and, you know, on, 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 on another on the other hand, we sort of we also see her in the documentary as well. I think one of the most powerful scenes in the whole documentary is her conversation with a young black man uh, where she asks him, what does it mean and how does it feel when you see fear in a white woman's eyes? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it it brought me to tears to watch him be brought to tears by that question. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and she's certainly emotional as well. Um, and you know, that's difficult. I think there's some value in that, right? And some in, importance and power in a scene and interaction like that uh, for for viewers. But, and, and certainly in, in the context, I think of the power of conversations to change hearts and minds, if you yeah. will. Um, but I, there's certainly room for critique there. Um, you know, there's also lots of critiques out there about how she relies on pretty heavily, I think, on metaphors, right? There's this beautiful scene of these three young men, uh, black boys talking about um, talking about what they love most about themselves. And they use, they talk about being birds. One talks about being an eagle. One talks about being an owl. Um, and, and as they're talking, she sort of cuts away to these montages of these birds flying. And I'm like, that's okay. Okay. Let me, let me mm-hmm. just focus on the, the boys here and what they're saying, because it's, it's, it's beautiful to hear them articulate that, yeah. um, and talk about that and talk about loving themselves. Um, that, that for me was really a, a beautiful thing to see. Um, and, and, and we've talked about this multiple times, right. But the idea that, you know, she's using a lot of triggering images and videos of police brutality. And, you know, there's critique out there about how necessary all that was, but so I, you know, there's definitely lots of critique out there for the, for the documentary. Yeah. And I didn't, um, I, I didn't engage in, in the critiques before watching it. Yeah. Um, I just wanted, I wanted to jump in and, and sort of watch it. Um, so I didn't look into anything about who made it. Yeah. Okay. Prior to watching it. Um, but then at some point, I think um, I heard the director, right? Who her voice? Right, yeah, I heard her voice, and I was like, well, "That sounds like a white woman." And mm-hmm. then she did show up on the screen, and I was like, "Oh, okay." And I guess I I had jumped into this thinking that it had been made sort of entirely by black folks. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think so. For one, I you know, I think that speaks to 
how centered the stories are of the people who are in the documentary at the beginning. Right. That I continued to feel that throughout until she showed up. Shows up, yeah. Right. And yeah. um yeah, so uh I think that that's what generated that surprise for me is like I just felt like it um was a quote unquote black film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh there were so but throughout I was as I kept watching, there were certain moments that I felt like were talking to white folks. Okay. Right. And they were yeah. talking to an audience. And I was like, well, who's this for? Like, what's right. this section for? And I think I thought that in the police brutality section mm-hmm. part where there's that sort of montage of brutality. Um, and um, so that that was something that I that sort of entered my my thinking as I was watching this and engaging with it. Um but there were also some scenes that felt like they were literally just presenting the story of the people sort of without a lens. Mm. Right. And so okay. it, it, it felt like, I felt like a both hand space to me really. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also important to name that. So after the movie, I sort of looked it up um, because I wanted to sort of learn more about the background of it. Um, and she, the documenter, documentarian, the yes. director, yeah. um, she realized while making a film, an earlier film, um, that she had internalized some fear around black men as she really? was making a, a different film. Okay. And I think she wanted to explore what that was. Ah, um, okay. I didn't know that. And so I think, um, you know, I think about that scene that you talk about with her asking that um, young black man, like what, um, what it feels like to see fear in a white woman's eyes. And he shares that his mother is white. Right. Yep. Um, And so it's painful. Um, Right. And I think that moment to me was super powerful because it's him telling his story and having a space to tell that story, you know, unvarnished in a right. way. Um, but it's also, to me, participatory documentary filmmaking, yeah. right? Like she's there with him asking the question. And I think that's why it's important that she also appears on screen in that moment. Yes. I, don't, I don't think she really appears in many other places. No, I can't maybe, recall her. maybe one or two small yeah. spots. But. Um, like the story is not about her, but, and that, that story is not about her, but it's also like, you know, who are we as an audience when we hear this? Yeah. Right. Like, and what are we doing with it? And I think seeing her hear that story, um, was really meaningful, um, because she knows that she needs to hear that. Um, and that's, in fact, the reason why I think she's making the documentary yeah. right, is that she feels like she needs to hear that. And therefore, other white people need to hear it as well. Um, and I think, you know, there are even valid critiques in, in what I just described. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, right. That, that that approach is not um, not without its its um, criticism, yeah. I guess. Um, but, you know, we here at interdependent study um spend time talking about learning and unlearning 
Um, so this moment and her work here feels like it's in alignment with what we do yeah. and what we're trying to do. Um, and so I do appreciate that and I want to name that and, you know, maybe we can just invite her on the show. Hey, I like that. <laughs> we'll figure out what her email address is. Yeah. Send her a, send her a note. I like that. I appreciate that. I, I, I didn't know some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and sort of her, how this maybe came to be for her. This, mm-hmm. this documentary experience came to be for her. So I appreciate knowing that. Um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about um, things that were sort of powerful about uh, this documentary. And uh, I think there are lots of powerful conversations and, and quotes and clips uh, throughout it. But, you know, I, I, I think I'll never forget sort of at the very beginning of it, Malcolm, who I talked about earlier, um, said something that I think really highlights the humanity of and the lived experiences of black men in this country. Um, he said, and I'm going to quote here, it often, it's often a double-edged sword to be a black boy in America because you have to tell yourself that you are magnificent and that you are free and beautiful while simultaneously acknowledging that the world is not built for you. It's not built for your successes. It's not built for you to survive. And you have to live in these two worlds of I am whole and worthy but I am also hunted and hunted down and sought after. Mm-hmm. And I guess I, I wanted to share those words in his words, not only because I think they are spot on, uh, but because, you know, I want our listeners and the world to sort of know that that that's it. Like that this is the experience and this is what black men and boys go through. Um, and we sort of talked about that a little bit earlier about intention Um or intentionality about sort of how we operate and sort of move through the world. Um, and so, you know, that's the experience of, of black men and boys and, and even expanding that a little bit, right. It's also the experiences of other people of color and folks with marginalized identities. You know, they have some, they, they, they have that experience as well to some degree. And, and so I, I, I really wanted to, to highlight and share if, if you don't get to watch it, like there, that's a powerful quote from, the documentary and and something to sort of consider because I just think it's really um, compelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, quote from Malcolm is um, sort of directly descended from the work of W E D W E B Du Bois. Yes, right. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. And his concepts of double consciousness, which is also in the film and, right. and read in a certain section, um, and so. Um, I think that's that's super important. Um, and then, so one of the other things that they kind of close with, I think, um, well, there, there's a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but another sort of concept that's towards the end of this film is this idea that savior saviors and heroes aren't what's needed, mm-hmm. right? Um, and they were talking about it without really talking about it, but they're talking about white saviorism. Yeah. Um, and I think um, sort of critiquing that openly, and I think that's important because um, that's not going to help anyone here, right? Um, right? One of the other people in the film, uh, Shari El-Meki, um, says, it's very easy to think I'm saving you, and if you don't allow me to save you, I'm going to punish you. Mm. Right. And that just repeats this idea of control and subjugation. It's yeah. this reiteration of the paternalism in colonialism, uh, where the colonizers believe that the colonized are savages. Mm. Uh, and we have to teach them our ways 
of the colonizer um, so that they can be fully human. And it's so harmful and limiting. Yes, yes um, it is. Yeah. And it's completely disconnected from this idea mentioned in the film that black boys need people to believe in them. Mm. You can't believe in people and try to save them. Uh, those two ideas don't work together, yeah, right? Like, yeah. it just they don't. They're not connected. Um, so I wanted to to mention this quote from Lilla Watson, who's not in the film, but this is one of the things that's always kind of in the in the back of my mind as I do work. Um, is if you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. Mm. But if you've come here because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let's work together, right? So we have to know and believe that our shared humanity is at stake when we diminish the life of another and we participate in things that diminish the life of another, um, right? Like it's this idea of internalized supremacy is is harming us too and we have to let it go because we're hurting ourselves and we're hurting our fellow like human. Yeah, I love that. I, you know, and I think you've said this on a previous episode and, and you say this a lot and I, and yeah. I love you saying this uh, and I believe in it, right? Like this idea that we're all connected beings, right? And sort of the power of that. And I think that's connected to something I say a lot about sort of this idea of humanity, right? right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm going to have to look up Miss Watson. I, mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with her work, but so thank you for, for bringing that to the table. Um, you know, we always talk about application work in our show here. And as I think about it, um, I've been thinking a lot about education and our educational system in this country. And that's probably because I'm an educator. Uh, what a stretch there. But I, I think I think we really need to examine our curricula and policies and and funding structures. Right. Mm-hmm. Like and 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 we also need to equip teachers and administrators with the tools they need to support and educate all of our students. Um, and we talked about this earlier, about this idea of recruitment uh, of black male teachers is important right. in that too. So I want to also name that. Um, and and we also and we've talked about this in a lot of episodes, but we need to hold our politicians and leaders accountable to this, right? Um, I I I'm hopeful, and I think if we can shift our paradigm around the education of our children and the dignity that they deserve, we would be in a much better place um, and give all of our students that opportunity to succeed. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, you said funding structures and that's where my mind went. Um, <laughs> Cause we can't continue to have an educational system where our schools are funded based on the property taxes of the neighborhood in which they're located. How about it? Yeah. Especially when you, th- you zoom out and you're like, well, uh, the housing system is racist. How about it? And creates a system where black neighborhoods are devalued, mm-hmm. right? And creates a system where black neighborhoods exist. Um, so policies then create the segregation and limits the value of the neighborhood. And then the neighborhood generates less tax revenue than the white neighborhood down uh-huh. the street, which then limits the budget for the school. Okay. Take them, take them to school now. Yeah. So <laughs> we have to... This is sort of my own thought for what application looks like is like we have to understand our own neighborhoods and how they're operating in modern day segregation. Yeah. Like what are our school boards deciding and making making choices around what are um, our city councils and mayors and like what are all these people doing that are continuing to contribute to this? How are tax breaks for new housing developments mm. contribute? Con- continue 
continuing to contribute to this. Yep. Um, right. Like all of those things, all of those structures are important um, for us to think about and consider. Um, and again, push people on um, making changes at a local level is uh, not sexy right. <laughs> work yep. at all, but it's probably the more important place to make that change and create a change in your in your community absolutely and it's you know i i'm fascinated by what you said there just because it highlights how all of that is connected housing and you know to education right into our communities and 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 segregate like all of that is connected right and so i think what you said but it's also sort of highlighted in the documentary a little bit too um in some of the sections right that it's all all connected and so that's part of why I definitely encourage folks to check this out and and then do some do some work around that and and more learning uh, about it if you're unfamiliar, um, you know. So speaking of homework, <laughs> I didn't plan that, but here we are. Um, you know, I think I have maybe I have my scholar practitioner hat on here. Uh, my my grad school professors would be happy that I said that. Um, <laughs> uh, I think part of what the Black Boys documentary does well is illuminate and, and showcase humanity, right? We've yeah. talked about that. Um, and we've talked about the works of folks like uh, Du Bois and Coates today, and their words are featured throughout the documentary. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would definitely suggest to folks out there as homework, if you haven't already, you know, read things by Du Bois and Coates and others who talk about racism and these systemic issues and blackness and the experience of being black in this country um, because they provide a, a rich uh, and a sort of scholarly foundation for, for learning and thinking about humanity. Um, and I think that's a good base for folks as you then you start that work, continue that work um, and, 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 and do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to uh, add uh, James Baldwin to yes. the list as well, right? Yeah, uh, who is also mentioned in this in the film, um, right? And so we talked about this earlier, but one of the threads throughout the film is love. Yes, um, and different people spoke on how it's needed. Um, Malcolm Xavier London specifically said it's okay to acknowledge that there's no simple answer, and that love says I don't know, but I'm committed to finding out. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Right. And I think that's so important. Um, uh, I think love is critical to collective liberation mm-hmm. um, because um, in the U.S., I think about how we squash, we limit what love means. Yes. Um, and it's frequently only about family members or um, romantic love that yeah. we talk about. Um, right. So, um it's almost like we talk about those as they're the only acceptable forms right. um, of love. And, you know, I think love takes a, a lot of forms. Um, and one of the things that started to shake that particular mindset out of me um, that, you know, I'm a work in progress. I'm still still working on. Um, but that was reading Bell Hooks's teaching community mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. She has this chapter um, in the book where she talks about what love looks like in the classroom um, and she's written a lot on the concept of love. Um, so she defines love as care, commitment, knowledge, responsibility, respect, and trust. Mm. Right? Like you have love when all of those things are present. And yes. I think if you think about those things and you apply them to what we heard 
in this documentary, like the like care, commitment, knowledge, responsibility, respect, and trust would change a lot of the stories that we heard from people. Yes. Um, so much. So, you know, I wanted to lift up um, Bell Hooks here um, and, and her concept of love because I thought about that every time somebody said love in the documentaries, that de- that definition, um, because uh, ever I've internalized that. And so it's been, uh, I've been trying to make it part of my work and part of my life like yeah. since, since reading it, um, right? Like I was a, a resident director years ago and I created posters um, for my community that sort of set up what our values were as a community. And yeah. the values were those six things, care, ah. knowledge, responsibility, respect, and trust. So, um, you've been rocking with bell hooks for a while, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> I guess. Um, those, those posters got stolen by some of the, the students. I uh, stolen is not the right word. At the end of the year, they were borrowed. Okay. Um, all right. And not returned. <laughs> um, which is fine. They were single-use posters, right? There you go. Um, so shout out to y'all. You know who you are um, if you're listening. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, I think, you know, we need to examine what love means to us in our own lives um, and how it fits into our work. Yes. In our former formal work and jobs and careers and stuff, but also into, like, the work that's just life. Yes. Too. I would agree. You know, I'm all about love so mm-hmm. absolutely i love that which coincidentally <laughs> is the title of one of bell hooks's books about love is all about love so there you go check there that one go. out too um all right so we've been talking at y'all for a while uh aaron you're up next week what are you bringing to the table in our next episode well speaking of books how about um, it <laughs> uh, uh we're we're gonna talk about a book um so i want us to talk about we still here by mark lamont hill uh, so it's intervi- interviews and essays with Hill about the pandemic and the uprisings in 2020 and how it's all connected. Um, so the blurb on the publisher, Haymarket Books, uh, on their website says, The uprising of 2020 marked a new phase in the unfolding movement for black lives. The brutal killings of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor, and countless other injustices, large and small, were the match that lit the spark of the largest protest movement in U.S. history, a historic uprising against racism and the politics of disposability that the COVID-19 pandemic lays bare. So there's a lot there yes. just in that description. Yep. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about this because um, I read it like basically as soon as it came out and it's just so good um, that I felt like we had to we had to talk about it. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to next week. Uh, so, all right, folks. So with that, we want to thank you for joining us and listening to Interdependent Study. We are enjoying the hell out of this and mm-hmm. are just so excited that you are listening and with us. Um, you know what we want you to do. Please subscribe, leave a review, share our podcast, and of course, follow us on social media. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Recognizing that this is a little bit of a longer episode, so appreciate you sticking with it. Yes. Um, and remember, it's so it's not about us here, but it is about us collectively. So we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>